Every day, people around the world face challenges that can seem insurmountable. Hunger, poverty, inequality, pain, and so much more. In Western nations, the crypto world is often identified through greed and decadence. There is a better way. Introducing Carbon 12, a better way to create real-world impact and collective action while celebrating individual growth. C12 is focused on making a difference on people and societies around the world, partnering with organizations and initiatives that are creating real change in communities. C12 fosters financial freedom for the individual and positive impact around them. Take control of your freedom and invest in the world around you in three simple steps. Purchase C12 at carbon12.co and use it for transactions to buy or sell things that are contributing to a positive impact. Achieve independent financial freedom through staking, compound interest, dividends, Dow rewards, and more on our How to Buy page. Join a global movement making a difference through the transparent impact ecosystem. C12. Individual and collective impact made transparent. Join the C12 revolution today. shows where we have a lawyer in the audience so two two, um, uh, two that's true we have one that's at the true. table one too. at the table too yeah yeah, yeah. so we got to be careful <laughs> but, but not- we are going to be okay <laughs> because this is cross politic and it's pastor toby is chalk knocks and I'm, I'm the water boy and this just this is not how it goes so don't 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 we, sue us we might have two lawyers but we're still like in a christian pub so <laughs> <laughs> right. the environment and there's three of us and only hey, two of them we don't have any beers here it's friday scotch there's, there's coffee it's coffee flowing yeah, i want some bourbon or something i'll do that in a minute jesus is lord in public and in private and in every area of life it must be subject to his lordship and our use of technology is no exception what captures our attention on the screen either glorifies or dishonors our Lord. That's why Accountable to You is committed to promoting biblical accountability in our families and churches. Their monitoring and reporting software makes transparency easy Mm. on all your devices so you can say with the psalmist, I will not set anything worthless before my eyes. Guard against temptation with Accountable to You. It's the word accountable, the number two in the word you, and live for God's glory. Learn more and try it for free today at accountable to you.com and you can put slash FLF on there. Let them know we sent you. That's right. We're really grateful to have with us at the table. Uh, Mr. Timon Klein is an attorney practicing in New Jersey and a fellow at the Craig center at Westminster theological seminary. He's also uh, editor of American reformer and he's, written a bazillion articles. <laughs> yes, he is. Timon, thanks for joining us on Cross Politic. Thanks for having me. Um, what's the background of your name? Oh, Timon. Jeff just asked me that this morning. Yeah. Um, so it's in Act 6. It's a list of deacons. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a it. Bible name. It's a Bible name. Uh, wow. Mm. I missed that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Timon, uh, in addition to your name, the thing that I mm. actually want to know is, um, in addition to your name, <laughs> Toby didn't care about that question. He's, <laughs> he he's moving on. He's like, Gabe, you're boring. If, if there was, um, I don't know, two or three specific things mm-hmm. about the history and sort of founding of America that you think the, the run-of-the-mill American Christian has never heard of, doesn't know this, because, um, you know, they went to public schools, because, you know, they, they, all they had was a Becca history, and I mean, that's pretty good, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. They, um, and, and it, but these are two or three things you think would change the way they think about our country. Two or three. Two or three. 
I mean, even one, yeah. if you're like, this this is it, this well, silver bullet right here. Yeah, I think the the approach we have to the American founding is, is fundamentally flawed as a historical matter. So eat that mic. Just, just, yeah, it's, it's, just, yeah. just put you know, the thing it. that's usually done is you, you cherry pick and stack up a bunch of founders quotes, right? Um, already there, you have a problem because, uh, who are the founders, right? So it's always capital F founders, right? Uh, you're usually limiting well, King yourself. George was a founder. King George, the uh, definitely, founder. definitely a founder. Um, <laughs> you know, so you, so you've got usually three, you know, who are your three founders? Yeah. Can you name more than three? Can you name more than five? Right. Probably not. Right. Um, slavery was another founder. Slavery's yep. a founder. Uh-huh. 1619's yep. a founder. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you do that and you, you cherry pick a few quotes and then that's supposed to demonstrate whatever your thesis is, you know, about uh, the nature of the country, which, you know, typically is going to be a liberal, secular, right. uh, godless constitution, whatever you mm-hmm. want to say. Um, so methodologically it's flawed of where we're, we're looking you know, at private correspondence, the the private musings of a few men. Um, I, in general, am skeptical of all elitist opinion wherever it's published. It could be true, but I think we should treat that the same in every epoch of history. And so what's much more interesting to do, if you want to understand the nature of the country, is to look at public consensus documents. This is, a, in my opinion, a very reformed historiographical uh, conviction is to say, um, there's lots of theologians. They can say lots of good things. The thing that determines orthodoxy, though, would be your consensus confessions, right? So you can do something very similar with American history where you can look at public documents that represent deliberation and consensus on the behalf of the populace through their representatives. Um, and that demonstrates something more accurate and more accessible about the character of the country than trying to uh, stack up quotes uh, from John Adams or, or Thomas Jefferson. So um, that leads to the second point, which I would say the the scope of our public documents should not be limited to the Declaration of Independence and the federal constitution. Mm. Um, standing behind those and in conjunction with those is a recognition of our federalist structure, which has to include the state constitutions. And right. of course, um, in our original structure, um, this has been eroded uh, to a significant degree over, especially in the 20th century, but the states would be the central uh, moral and political loci of, of the Republic. This is actually the where you're- states the are states are central. The states are central in this, in this regard. They have much more leeway through their inherited police powers that they say are derived from their royal charters. And these are never given up. The only thing new that happens at the founding is the, the union, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they're where you should look for activity early on, and their, their constitutions are, are important for determining uh, the nature and character of the country at the time. And even before those, you should also look deeply at uh, colonial documents, which represent the inheritance of those states and tell mm-hmm. you something about them. So those are, those are three, I would say, ways that they, they flow together that we methodologically – um, okay. have kind of screwed this question up. And most people, I don't think, think about any of those uh, so, data points. So first being consensus public, documents. Public consensus, yeah. um, don't yeah. just pull quotes, yeah. even if yeah. it's a good quote. Yeah. Grab consensus documents. Second, state constitutions would be mm-hmm. significant mm-hmm. consensus documents that tell mm-hmm. us what the people were like, what the, mm-hmm. what, what the founding was like. And third, um, the colonial um Charters and, yeah, charters and, and various, constitutions that before statehood. I, w- I would still broad their charters is one of them, but we can broadly categorize it as constitutional documents. Yeah, it's just right. of a different form. Right. Yeah. 
So okay. those two and three are kind of the same then, right? They're similar. There's different um, kind of different forms. epics or different periods. So yeah. you know, uh-huh. one is one is pre um, separation from Britain. One is mm-hmm. one is post. Um, but there's much there's much congruence and agreement between them. Um, and and the uh, the colonial you know charters have a different role. They're setting up uh, more or less what we'd call corporations, or they in fact call them that. Um, that have royal approval to go and settle this area, but they oftentimes would, um, you know, allude to other purposes that they had. And then, especially in a lot of the New England states, you know, you have something like the Massachusetts Body of Liberties, um, where they're they're developing something of a legal code. Those are very important, you know, documents, as well as um, things like the Cambridge Platform, which is a demonstration in response to the passage of the Westminster Confession mm. of the particular polity. So they adopt the confession, but they want to demonstrate their distinctions in their polity, which is both church and state what, at the what time. What was that called again? What was that document the Cambridge, uh, the Cambridge Platform, 1648. Um, also very, very important, even though it's largely, I mean, it's developed by a state called Synod, um, but it demonstrates something about the colonial background. And I take all my, my lead on this from a, a letter John Adams wrote, a Frenchman in... Oh, 1760s, maybe, um, or, or, or quite a bit thereafter, probably be 1780s, maybe 83. And he's telling him, he's saying, if you really want to understand what we've been doing over here, um, you're, you're not going to be able to do that if you neglect the colonial period. You have to understand the background of the people to, under, to, mm. to see where they've gone. You have to know where they've come from. Um, so the colonial data is generally neglected, in my experience, by historians of the of the founding period. And the ones that do better are usually people that have some familiarity, so, familiarity with the period. So when the whites colonized America, um, <laughs> were... <laughs> well, uh, well, they were generally... <laughs> <laughs> so I what know. I heard was colonialism. That's yes. what I heard. No. Yeah. Um, w- would you say that, um, how would you answer the question that we are founded as a Christian nation? Wait, wait, before yeah. you even get there, okay. is that the right question to be asking? Because you say, what were they trying to do over here? Right. What, what, when Adams sure. is saying, hey, you got to understand what's going on here before the, in the colonies. What were yeah. they trying to even do? And is that even the right question to be asking? I think it's a perfectly fine question to be asking. Um, so what were they trying to do? Well, well, you know, some of the documents tell you as much, you know, um, what would you say? The Mayflower Compact tells you what they're trying to do. Um, but even you can jump way far ahead. Look at the Northwest uh, Ordinance, right? After the founding of the country, it's dealing with the federal territory that we've now acquired. And it discusses, you know, not extensively, but it makes sure to mention um, the fact that part of the, you know, the, the propagation of, uh, Christianity to some extent is at least is wrapped up in the goal of, of what we're going to do. So this this is explicitly stated all over the so place. So Idaho was acquired in part for the, the propagation, propagation sure, of the Christian sure. religion. Yeah, you can you can absolutely say that. So I don't understand what kind of nation would mm. say those things that's not a Christian nation. Um and it, it's unless you're going to claim it's accidental and that, you know, within a couple of years of its quote unquote founding, which I would say you should begin you know, in 1630 or so to start understanding how the country's founded, hmm. unless you're going to say it departs so, so briskly from its founding purpose, I would say, and, and no one seems to be indicating at the time that that's the case, then it's, it's doing what it was founded to be. And it seems very much to me that it's um, operating as a Christian nation for a generally Christian people. And you see this um, all over the place, you know, in um, John Adams's inaugural address, um, you know, he just refers offhand as if it's no big deal to the, the Americans as Christian people. It's just how he, he thinks of them. Right. Um, you see this, uh, these sort of self-declarations of, of identity all over the place. 
Um, usually the comeback to that is to say something, well, it doesn't, it doesn't say this in, um, you know, the federal constitution doesn't say that it's, it's a Christian nation doesn't even mention God, right? This is the godless constitution argument. The state constitutions, you know, provide uh, pushback on that argument quite a bit. Um, and so when you're uh, almost all of them or all of them in some to some degree or another do recognize God and mention him in various forms. Um, and then you have many um, stipulations that, that, of course, go much further to this uh, to this point. So even in a place like Tennessee, when they have their first constitution closing out the 18th century, um, you have it's one of the few constitutions in the founding period that. Um, there's several that don't have an establishment. Tennessee decides to explicitly say we will not have an established denomination. But then it goes on to present a religious test for office that everyone who takes office <laughs> has to affirm God yeah. and the end of life and all these things, all yeah. these very orthodox things. So Texas it's like, still has that what, in there. Yeah. You, you can't you run. Can't tell. Right. In, in Texas, you still – it's in the books that you still can't run if you don't believe in God. Yeah. Right. If you're an atheist, you can't run, but they don't follow that anymore. Yeah. yeah. This is, if I'm not mistaken, this is actually still somewhat valid or debated in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, very just yeah. a formality at this point. But yeah. uh, the point being, so even a state that was adamant um, and very different from other states if they're doing this in 1791 to say – um, we're not going to have an establishment. That's we don't believe in that. And then the very next, you know, stipulation is, but you have to believe um, oh, yeah, in God. You got to believe in God and and you know the Trinity and things like this. Right. Um, oh, even Trinitarian this is specific. Yeah, these are, yeah. New Hampshire does the same thing. Many of them do. Um, of course, South Carolina. You have to be a Protestant. Sorry, Mormons. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, that's not happening at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so you have these all over the place. Uh, New Jersey's original state constitution has this great article, I think Article 19, that uh, guarantees the, the freedom of conscience for everybody. It's, it's really great. The very next um, article says, yeah, but only Protestants can run the place. You know, mm. So um, it also, mm, it also wow. changes how we think about um, the, the uh, distinction they still had that was alive and well at the time, the dif- difference between belief and action. Um, now we've kind of melded, you know, the, the right of conscience into into action as well. Right. Um, and you'll see older Protestants writing about this, like Richard Baxter would say, no one's talking about persecuting belief. You can't do that. Um, but we are, are talking about persecuting action. And so if you have, <laughs> okay. you know, illegal action that has right. to be punished. Right. So that something of that distinction is still alive and well at the at the time. And they just kind of recognize that. Um, we want certain people running the place and passing laws. That doesn't mean you have to persecute anyone else, but it also doesn't mean that everyone is treated the same at a at a social or a political level. So that's a, that's across the board. So the point is, you have a very different picture than the quote unquote godless constitution presents uh, initially, as as your typical interlocutors will say. So then you have you you marked out earlier that sixteen uh, thirties where you start seeing really the founding of America, right? That's where yeah, like, okay. Yeah. That's where I like to start. Yeah. So then, what do you do with sixteen nineteen to start seeing you know? Actually, yeah, <laughs> he's avoiding it. Yeah, avoiding <laughs> I noticed it. that you just jumped up like you know, eleven years well, there. I have um, I have a historical reason for saying 1630. I follow Perry Miller, the great uh, Puritan scholar, in saying that the uh, the founders of the Massachusetts Bay Colony are the first politically self conscious colonizers, yeah. colonists. Um, they come to perform or or um, establish a socio political project. Others, um, other colonies that had dotted the coast up till then had either failed miserably. I mean, Jamestown is is largely right. a failure, right? Or they were purely economic enterprises. 
Um, and then you have Plymouth, mm-hmm. of course, in 1620. You could start there, and some people may want to. Um, they're not as capable and as able as the people that come in 1630. People that come in 1630, um, there's a lot of them. It's basically a fleet. Sounds like a comes. racist argument. Mm. They're just capable. <laughs> Yeah, you know. racist against yeah. the Plymouth, <laughs> the good guys. Yeah, against the Pilgrims, the other, know? the other guys from East Anglia. Yeah. <laughs> Have you been watching like sixteen nineteen Hulu or something he's, like that? Is that what's wrong with you right now? He's, You're like he's all obsessed. on. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, okay, a sassy day. Yeah. Um, sure. Keep going. Yes. <laughs> so. The, I threw them off. It worked. They're very, they're, but they're very. Uh, they're they're well resourced. They're guys. You know, John Winthrop is is you know, all intents and purposes, the founder of the colony governor for a long time. You know, he's a, he's a lawyer and a statesman and a businessman and has been, you know, he's in his forties and he's been doing this for a while. Um, you know, Endicott who's another governor. It comes with them. Your ministers like John Cotton, Richard Mather, these are all very capable people. Um, and they bring a lot of resources with them and they kind of, you know, get down to business and they know that what they're in very short order, what they're doing is not just an economic enterprise. It's not, it's not just, it's, it's not even for religious liberty. Let's just, let's just throw that out. It's not a religious liberty project. It is an establishment project to do it the way they want to do it. Mm. They're not interested in being Rhode Island or what Rhode Island becomes, right? Rhode Island is like, you know, uh, some people describe described it, you know, rather provocatively. It's like the drain that they throw all their heretics into. Yeah, you know? I've read that. Like they're, they're not interested in what that becomes. That's they're, sort of like the original libertarianism. Yeah. It is the original libertarianism. Yeah, That's they funny. would call them libertines, right? Of course, okay, right. And would defend themselves throughout. Um, so there's an interesting case in the 1680s, jumping ahead, where some Anabaptists um, are protesting their their inability to to be involved in the franchise, to vote, to have have freemanship. All the um, good old days. Yeah. So that when you have to deal with just look, Anabaptists. Look at white people, like frustrating fo- voting rights for the long, you know, since, they, They've since always been 1680. Doing it. You know, They've since 1680, you know? Since, no, Come on. way before. Way before. <laughs> way before. Hey, you better give us our respect, bro. <laughs> we didn't learn this recently. Yeah. So the... So they, they required they, IDs back then. I mean, it's incredible. They probably incredible, did. Yeah. They probably did. <laughs> right. Well, you can just tell an Anabaptist by looking at them. So you don't need them. They're fully wet. You don't. Yeah. They're, they're fully wet all the time. Um, sorry. I got look like funny. they were born yesterday. You know? Oh. Uh, I didn't say so that. They, I didn't say that. Don't at me. You, you know, born again. Yes. Sorry. We, we, born, we've yes, had some time. bumps with Baptists <laughs> on this show. I don't know if you're aware. I'm not. Keep going, there. Keep going. Never mind. You say it's like it's a bad thing. No, no, oh, no, no. we love them. No, okay. love them. They love me, us. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so 1680, this group of Anabaptists come to the, you know, the leaders of the colony, and they're like, "Hey, we're not, we're not getting our our due." And wasn't this colony founded for religious liberty? And they quickly disabuse them of that in public print and say, no. "That's not what this is about. Absolutely not." So you can be, you know, this this idea that they have of of toleration is very different. That doesn't mean it means you don't run around just killing people because you think they believe something different. Um, but it's, it's mm. judging public action that's based on promulgated standards, you know, promulgated by the, by the ones who have care of the community. So the definition of law um, and they're on notice, right? They make very clear what they're doing there. And they say, you can come join us if you want to, if not, there's lots of places to live. Right. And that's why their favorite punishment was banishment. I think if you're in the 17th century, that's a pretty good deal <laughs> considering right. what else they could do to you. Right. Um, it's usually people, that um, you know, won't abide the banishment that uh, that they have a problem with. They keep coming back like the Quakers. So, okay, I want to get yeah. back to sixteen nineteen, but this is fascinating. Mm. So right now, our biggest arguments against whatever's going on with the state is religious liberty. 
mm -hmm. way that we're arguing. That's problematic then, isn't it? In, in many ways it can be. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, if you, so there's a sense in which if you, you know, make, use arguments to win, win a case or to win, let's just say even a public case, right? Publicly, just in, uh, polemically, um, that in the, in the long run undermines you, but in the short term wins because you're appealing to popular sensibilities about uh, autonomy and private belief in right. these things. I shouldn't be vaccinated because mm -hmm. I have religious liberty. That's what people have been right. using that argument. And it's often effective. And there's a sense in which Americans are still sensitive to, to some idea of this. So it works in the long run though, you may be undercutting your ability to legislate uh, morally in public or um, to even favor a particular type of morality, heaven forbid. Right. Hmm. Um, that Explain then, that. That then yeah. has demands upon other members of the populace as well, not just your private conduct. Because they get to say, you got to stay in your religious liberty lane. This yeah. legislating ain't for you. We'll give you yeah. your little carved out spot that you got to stay in. Right. Which gets smaller and smaller. The prayer closet's getting a lot smaller day by day, right? <laughs> yeah. They, we so, kick the gays out and put the Christians in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, they were in a prayer yeah. closet? <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. They prayed to their gods. You didn't yeah. see the Oscar or the Grammys? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That was the yeah. prayers. The worship time. That was wild. So, um, I don't have to tell you what the New Englanders would have done to that kind of behavior. Right? Even okay. them, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> they wouldn't uh, let them vote. We know that. Definitely wouldn't vote. No IDs. No IDs. <laughs> no IDs. Um, so, yeah, th I do think, that, I mean, one, you you know, you're talking about differences in, in strategies and, and what have you. There's a sense in which, you know, sometimes there's short-term wins you can't pass up or you, you in, or, in order to fight another day. And you right, have to just right. kind of play the game. Tactically. But there may be other times when, when prudentially you can decide actually it'd be better to take the short-term loss and maybe the long-term win. I, I want to, since, since we brought up the Grammys, we already came full, we're already here. So, I mean, I, we can circle back to the founding. Okay. I want to get to 1619. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I want to, so here it is, um, you know, you got the Grammys, I don't know, you got um, drag queen story hours. Mm -hmm. You got David French saying if you don't allow the drag queen story hours, clearly you don't understand the First Amendment. Yeah, you don't understand liberty. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, I mean, how how bad is it? Like in your in your like right now, like in terms of you know where America is, where we came from, and maybe specifically with an eye to the Christian Church, you know, as represented mm -hmm. sort of by a David French type. Um, yeah. How bad is it? I think it's pretty bad. Um, I think you guys think it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, but, I'm, okay. I, I, yeah, um, with I mean, the post mill love for with the, the post mill. Yeah, 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 yeah. I right, mean, I mean, right. we're winning, but it's bad. Right, it's bad. It's it's, <laughs> it's bloody. But um, yeah, I mean, David French is such a such an interesting. He's like a caricature of himself in many ways at this point. But he, you know, David French. This this would actually get to what we were just talking about. I mean, David French in many ways, at least in his public uh, kind of persona and writings, which is all I know about David French. Um, you know, his morality or his only moral compass in his reasoning and his arguments is basically more or less uh, the First Amendment and how he sees the relative private protection of the First Amendment um, at this stage. I mean, this is how he he himself explained his position on gay marriage at this point. And the flip, flop, flip. Right. Um, at this point, he has now decided religious liberty is sufficiently protected that now he can fully express him, himself, you know, come out, the, out of the closet and his belief in that. And so – this is another one of those issues of where we've made the First Amendment, you know, our shield 
and it's what protects us from from harm. And it basically also at the same time precludes you from making any public judgment against any other lifestyles. And we can have this live and let live sort of attitude. And he's he's an exemplar of this this kind of approach to public life. Um, and this is why touching on drag queen story story hour, I think he was so adamantly opposed to uh, people like Sora Bamari who were were confronting him in right. public and saying. Uh, you know, as as Amari pointed out, Al Mohler called him out and was like, if this isn't a cultural crisis, what is? How right. do you determine that? David French doesn't know how to determine that, right. it would be my opinion, the, the because he lives in kind of procedure land with the First Amendment as a fully orbed morality. Do the, do the writers of the original Bill of Rights and, and the consensus at the time, I mean, you you read them. I mean, do, are they thinking anything like and of course, you know, sometimes they'll have to be drag queens in oh. public libraries. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. No. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm just checking. I just wanted yeah. to check. No, just checking in. That's good. That's good. Um, I'm pretty sure not, but I'm just pretty like. Pretty sure not. Yeah. Not. Uh, you know, Tom Paine and Jefferson got into some weird stuff and, Fra- you know, Ben yeah. Franklin too. Yeah. But um, I don't think that far, although France was wild at the time. But, you know, so so to provide some some context for, you know, you have the First Amendment. Um, great. But, the, but as we've already discussed, the state at the state mm. level constitutions give you something of a taste for maybe wh- how this should be read. Mm. So very obviously this is not even up for, de- for debate. The, you know, the, the first amendment in the federal constitution does not apply to the states originally, right? It's not incorporated until 1947. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't apply to the states. The only thing it's really saying at all is that there will be no national establishment. Right. That's it. Um, it's a very interesting question then to say if it's not applied to the states and there's really no federal context in which it does anything other than keeping the federal government from um, oh boy, playing with or bothering the state level establishments, with, which there were until 1833, what does the free exercise clause mean? Anyway. Um, oh, don't leave that there. You got to work that one out. Well, it's a, it's a, I think it's an interesting question. So, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, what do you do? It has a lot to do with what you do with your, your punctuation. But when it says the establishment clause comes first, right? Pass no law, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pertaining to the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. Free exercise thereof what? Establishment of, okay. So that's an interesting question. But there, the, it doesn't really matter how you answer it because there's no, there is no activity at the federal level in that regard for a long time. Um, at the state level, all the while, all the way up through the 19th century, you have Sabbath laws yep. that are totally constitutional up through yep. the up through into the 20th century. Yeah. You have blasphemy laws. Mm-hmm. You have blasphemy cases. Mm-hmm. You have case law. You have, as I already said, religious establishments. I mean, even recent work by someone who would not be near as radical as I am on some of these, but he was very smart. You know, Philip Munoz, his recent book on the establishment clause or the, uh, in the first amendment generally to some extent. I mean, even he is talking about how most people at the time when they're, when they're having a, when they're dissenting against established denominations, they really just don't want to be taxed. That's like, that's it really. Mm. There's no other problem. Uh, The parish tax is what's kind of bothering them to pay for public ministers, which places like Massachusetts and New Hampshire did and some other ones as well. Okay. Um, Their problems are really not the religious test for offices. Um, even the ones that are limited to Protestants, those aren't really the problem. So Baptists aren't, aren't bummed out by those too much. They just don't want to be taxed. And so you, you wrestle with that for a while and you could debate, you know, the, the, the justice or injustice of doing that. Um, the point is there's a, an enormous amount of religious activity that's officially state sanctioned or state protected, right. um, 
for over a century in, right. in the country while the federal constitution still exists and no one has a problem right. with it. Right. Um, and, you, and, you have, so, and you have presidents and, and Congresses even, you know, giving, you know, yeah. prayers, calling for days of prayer, oh, sure. days yeah. of fasting to the triune God, to the father of the Lord Jesus. I mean, yeah, absolutely. You I have, mean, you have all of these and there, and there's, you know, some, sometimes people, secular historians will say, um, you know, they'll point to something like nature and nature's God, as if this is the, you know, this is the deist language. Right. The deism category is, is, is way overused uh, for this very reason as a sort of cudgel. Um, one interesting data point on this front is to look at something like public election sermons throughout the colonial period, mm-hmm. all the way up through the founding. Okay. Yeah. These are readily available online. Everyone should read them. You will see in those a, a very interesting trend because a lot of them are fairly repetitive. They have a, a basic form they're following every year. They're calling, you know, the the three estates of your your governors and churchmen to their their biblical mandates of what they're supposed to do for the populace and to each other. Every year you're doing that. Different texts, but you're doing the same thing. A very interesting thing to notice as you read more and more and more of them is when they're at the stage of talking about things that pertain to or derive from reason or natural revelation, they will use these sort of broad categories for God, the creator, almighty, these sort of things. Then when you move into doctrinal elements that are derived from special revelation, the the ministers, the preachers who are clearly orthodox will transition into more specific language that's only derived from special revelation. So I think at the time of the founding, the reason you, you use these perhaps more vague labels for God is because it's common practice something that's not even thought about mm-hmm. it. It's a convention to use when you're talking about matters of government, which are derived from special or, or from, from general revelation and reason and prudence, as our confession says, um, you use those types of, this is the practice that's been demonstrated for them, even by ministers yeah. is to use these broader categories because you're in that wheelhouse of revelation. So that's another one, another very common argument from atheist or secular scholars to yeah. say, well, well, yeah. where's Jesus Christ, you right. know, in, in the declaration or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's, something that exposes a sort of lack of familiarity with the the milieu that they're referring to. All right. I got another question. Go ahead. Can I ask it now? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, No, no, go ahead. You want to do something different? My head hurts. (laughs) My head hurts. I can tell you got quiet and stopped (laughs) talking crazy. My head hurts. (laughs) Um, I'm curious about, um, so um, the confession says, particularly on the law of God, Mm that um, the laws of, of the nation of Israel have expired with the mm-hmm. state thereof, except mm-hmm. for the general equity mm-hmm. thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about that phrase, the general, general equity? equity? Yeah. And, and, a, and is that, does that show up in the founding um, um, documents and or conversation? I, you know, one of the things, so back of this is um, I'm, I'm, you know, we, we call ourselves theonomists, general equity theonomists, whatever. Sure. But um, but the, the the point being is that, okay, these are Presbyterians who hold the Westminster Confession coming over here, many of them, and they're setting up Sabbath laws. They're setting up, um, you know, um, laws that for many modern Presbyterians— Would reflect Old Testament. Yeah, but they're, yeah. they're, they're taking pr- biblical principles and they're applying it. And I'm saying, that looks like general equity to me. That looks like they're they're taking um, the biblical law as it got worked out in the Western common law tradition, mm-hmm. and then just applying it and saying here in in in, uh, in our you know, Massachusetts Bay Colony, this is how it's going to get applied or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you and you say that, and you know people say you know you're a theonomist and you mm-hmm. know whatever, and you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but you say, but didn't our founders hold to this given what mm-hmm. they're doing? Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's the back of my question, but I'm asking, I'm asking, you know, if that's what they held to general equity, yeah, how they law of God, what does that mean to them? And how is that, you know, why are they passing laws for Sabbath or against blasphemy or things Mm -hmm. like that? Mm -hmm. Um, isn't that, isn't that them reasoning from the biblical principles of, of the law? And then as it's been worked out in, in the, uh, Western common law. Yeah. So a, a couple things, um, and I, th- I think there's multiple elements to that question, which is a good one. Um, general equity, I think historically pre founders, 16th yeah. century back is sort of a, a legal term of art that is, is a way of referring to, I mean, equity generally, you, you will see the word equity used pre 1619 is the first uh, CRT. Okay. Yeah. I was okay. going to say is the first CRT language. First CRT that was, uh... <laughs> obviously. So he's back. We know that we've established that. Just, just, but, just fed, fed, well, I'm ecumenical. So equity is, I mean, a term of art, just, just in jurisprudence that is a you know reference of course to fairness to, to natural justice to these sorts of things depending on how the context and how you use it so in the confession i mean general equity is referring to the things that are in the the law of god as we would call it the civil judicial law of old yeah, testament yeah. israel that are of course we would we would refer to them as natural law or elements of natural law and what you have in the civil judicial law of israel is a perfect instantiation of the natural law for a particular people, which is what a good lawmaker does. So what God's showing there is showing how it's done to legislatures. Now, the problem is you can't just replicate that anywhere right. because it is particularized to those people. That's what a prudent. So Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther will both say this. They'll say, look, if there's a, if there's an element of civil or judicial law in Old Testament Israel that fits your polity like, appropriately as a prudent ruler, go for it. There's of course nothing wrong with it. But in general, this can't just be transported to anybody. Um, so I think that's what the confession is is getting at, is saying, you know, God through Moses is the perfect legislature and he shows you how it's done, how you use the very general natural law to arrive at secondary conclusions and then to apply it to people. Um, of course, we, you know, being this side of, of both testaments of scripture would say we also have scripture that sort of reinstantiates that for us, republicizes it because we're really bad at reason a lot of times. Right. No. Um, <laughs> It's true, but the, um, okay. So that's general equity and that's how I think it's used in the confession. That's how I think Calvin uses it. That's how I think, um, it's, it's used throughout time and including in the common law tradition. But now there's no question that everyone in the founding period and even our, our common law jurists that we look up to, you know, uh, Edward Cook or, you know, Matthew Hale or whomever, um, are, are, Thoroughly biblically literate. That's my right? guy. Right? That's my well, I had guy. To, I had to plug NSA. Hale. That's where you want to go. So here's, here's a great data, data point. Everyone should go. I'm assuming it's available online. It's available somewhere. Yeah. Everyone should go look up Taylor's case. It's what's called 1676. Right. This is where Matthew Hale. It's not the first one to do it, but where he declares Christianity part of the common law. And we're going to come back to this in a second. Okay. When we talk about the reason for um, enforcement of Sabbath laws and blasphemy laws. Specifically the latter. Okay, so there's no doubt that our jurists, like Matthew Hale, or even our founders, even the ones we call Unitarians or Deists or whatever, um, know the Bible better than we do. And they're better readers of everything than we are. They also know the classics better than anyone who's oh, yeah. been through a great books program you'll yep. meet. Right. Um, it's just it's just the way it is. And they're better at reading what they have than, than we are, even though they have access to somewhat more limited information. So... 
Um, they're also a bunch of law nerds. Like the whole nation's a law, are a bunch of law nerds. Right. I mean, Edmund Burke talks about this. Like everyone, um, you can look at library list of people. They have all these legal commentaries, like regular widows will be like, you know, they, their husband died and they're leaving their stuff to their kids and they have like Calvin's Institute and Blackstone or something. So it's a weird place. <laughs> I love okay. that place. That's amazing. Yeah, More of that. Place. That's amazing. Um, and probably a gun. Yeah. But the, uh, right. come okay. on now, my kind of women. So <laughs> muzzle loader too. They, you know? uh, <laughs> oh yeah. So they, um, the point is that our founders are very biblically literate. There's tons of great historical work on the amount of citations to the Bible throughout the period. Even when you have someone as radical as Thomas Paine, he knows when he writes common sense that he basically has to use not only Old Testament uh, proof text, but a sort of milieu to talk about just and unjust rule and tyranny and these things, because this is what communicates to. So there's no doubt that he's a biblical skeptic, but he knows he has to use this to be effective mm. polemically in the country because that, and so right. that tells you something right. more. What secular historians do is then look at Thomas Paine um, and the age of reason and say, see, this tells you something. The age of reason was like roundly castigated when it made it back overseas. And Thomas Jefferson got in all this trouble for writing like a endorsement. Um, so Thomas Paine doesn't, represent America at the time, but what he has to do to be effective does, right? I see. So the biblical literacy is high. There's no doubt that people think in biblical categories and of course are, will we'll reference these things. Um, is it a one-to-one, -one, you know, sort of application of, of elements of biblical law as it was giving to Israel? I do not think that's always the case, mm -hmm. but there are of course perennial things and they are all natural law jurists and thinkers in a classical vein um, that these these categories are pretty fluid, in my opinion, the way they work with w in their own minds. Um, so you will see an early Na like natural law, biblical law. That's fluid, or what's fluid? I, th I think yeah. the, these sources of, of revelation in this context yeah. are somewhat fluid because, of course, they imagine that there's a, there's agreement. If the not, author, they're not very separate, is what you're saying. They're not separated too much the way that they. I think, think about. you can. I think you can oscillate between both because they should agree. It's the same author. It's the same author. Same author. When you're talking about government, yeah, right? Or, so yeah. I'm not talking about you know spe the Trinity or something. Right. 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 Sure. Um, sure. So of yeah. course these are in agreement, and um, it's very common at the time in common law courts to have scripture citations. I mean, that's just just something you do. Does it mean that they are card carrying theonomists? Yes. No. Yes. Uh, okay. Of course they are. Um, that's, what, what, else, what, other, what other kind of theonomy are we talking about? <laughs> there's, there's, other the Bible. there's other possible buckets you can fall in. Well, we don't like those guys. I, this is I the know, one I we know. like. That's, that's what we call um, theonomy right there. So, so to, I mean, to, to kind of clumsily answer the question, it's no doubt the Bible is authoritative and in play and everyone's reading it. And it comes into, you know, public debates and even our, our legal uh, mechanisms and precedents and all these things. Um, is it as simple as maybe some people want to make it today? I don't think so. I don't think, I don't but think we're I dealing with, with you know yeah. quite learned people um, that that have, for all the disagreement, quite a bit of fundamental agreement in the in the way. So a lot of things are just left unsead. I think but is those, part of our problem. Those people today would be labeled theonomists easily. Yeah, I mean, if you're not if you're not a liberal, you're you're labeled a theonomist. I deal with this all the time. Yeah, I've I've written this. Of fairly critically of theonomy, but yeah. I'm still called a theonomist pretty regularly. I think you're a theonomist. Yeah. Yeah, you oh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. fine. I like that. Okay. I mean, I, I let you make laws. Fine. So I, I guess, so if you take, you say, um, that's the perfect instantiation of the, the eternal character of God, the, the natural yeah. law, and, and, and it's given, you know, by God directly. And you say, okay, it has specific things that are for that specific kind, that, yeah. that time and place and, and mm -hmm. culture and so forth. But there are general principles there um, that are the 
that are instantiated um, mm-hmm. that we're to learn from and we're to apply then prudentially to our context. How's that not theonomy? So I would say that this is, so I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think general equi- equity theonomist as a label is uh, somewhat superfluous. It doesn't have any meaning to me because I, I don't quite understand what's meant to distinguish themselves from, from theonomist. And then if you recognize, the good kind. right. That's what so that's I see it as basically kind. a rehabilitation effort. That's totally fine. This is your prerogative. Okay. So the, what I take to be the, I mean, lots of people try to critique theonomy on these, like me, on this meta scale. It's like a hermeneutic and all this, this is all boring. Okay. The <laughs> like one you. thing yep. that is going on with theonomy that, that I think is where the rubber meets the road. You either accept this or you don't. Theonomists have to believe one that the civil and judicial law as applied to Israel is equally applicable to any civil, just civilization. Okay. As it stated, there are no, there are no further. I guess I'd need to break down that term. Like what do you mean by equally? I guess that's why I I would say, do murderers get the death penalty? Right. They would say, say, of course you have, you have to not just can they, but you, but you have to, or at least this is the ceiling. You could at least say this this is the ceiling, this and no further. And so what I would, what I would actually, you know, say this, this is like the distinction is, um, you know, where the traffic laws in old Testament Israel. Right. So, Right. can't have those. Right. Yeah. right. So um, I'm not saying you guys think to this extreme, but this is like, this is basic theonomy. You have to do it this way or, or otherwise it's losing its distinction. I'm, I'm fine okay. with some of that though. It's like, okay. I don't want to force people to get insurance or have to wear their seatbelt or drinking okay. and driving. No, you know, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm fine with all that. right. All right. That's fine. So you're a theonomist. That's great. <laughs> yeah. We got, we've established that. <laughs> all right. So that, there's no that's crime there. thing. Yeah. Right. So crime is pure, is defined by this, this limited case. Right. right. Um, and something I've flagged before is that the honest have no taxonomy of law. So I would, and I think most reformed would th- throughout the, the ages ascribe to, you know, Thomas Aquinas's basic definitions of law and taxonomy, which has, you know, the eternal law, which is in God himself, God's character, the natural law, which is God's eternal character and being with a creaturely reference. So it's condescended. And then you have human law and, and divine law uh, or inscripturated law. And the, the human law is, is just man applying the natural law to the context. It must be agreeable. And then there's, of course, scripture that's like your check. So these are your categories. Theonomists don't really have, at least I'm talking about like Bonson hmm. and things, uh, any patience for this. I, right? I, I think hmm. I think um, Gary North and Gary North may be a somewhat oh, different yes. case. And, as, well but, as, as well as Rush Doney. Okay, that's that's totally fine. I don't yeah. see them used in the same way or consistently. Well, because, every time they do case laws, like in yeah. Tools of Dominion, they lay out the full Levitical case laws in that way. Right, but once it was, okay, so here, here's the issue. So we get to the taxonomy. This is where they're misusing it. What type of law out of those four is Old Testament civil and judicial law? I'm sorry, maybe I don't understand. In the, so in Aquinas' taxonomy, if so, they use them, yeah. so you've got, you've so got I eternal. Assume, I assume they would, it would be considered inscripturated law. No. Okay. So you've got you've got eternal law, natural law, human law, okay, and divine or inscripturated law. Okay, so it's human law. This is by according to its genus, this is what it is. It's irrelevant that God is the legislator of it. The, inside the taxonomy, it functions as human law. You know it functions as human law because it is confined to and responsive to particular human circumstance. Therefore, that's why it expires with that polity, as the confession says. Okay. So this is a bit. I would say this is a huge barrier between me and the onomist. 
uh, maybe not adjusted theonomist, but between why me you, and Why you call me adjusted theonomist like that? Okay, theonomist. Yeah, 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 you know I, what? Now, you know, know it's okay. kind of racist a little bit. That's the CRT coming out in I want to talk about this more because this is really interesting because I think if you and I sit down to work through law, we would have no disagreement. I th- I'm I'm a big fan of traffic laws. Yeah. Well, I think we would have less problem in that area, right? Okay. Like uh, traffic laws are kind of silly, but I think that we as we're working down. I just think if you're gonna have like 16 year olds driving like piles of metal down the road, well, pretty. Well, that, well, well, hold on. Once wait, they wait, pay wait, for wait. the car wreck, there's, there's yeah, a lot of there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of things upstream <laughs> from that before you ever get to the kids yeah, doing yeah, yeah, driving yeah. that way. Okay, yeah. right. Mom so, and dad. So there's you know, a lot of things yeah. that Did are in place. Did grandpa baptize his babies? So, I mean, they, you know, it, right, right, right. <laughs> right. So I, mean, I think there's I think there's a yeah, lot of cultural sure. theological issues that are worked out of upstream that have a lot of different outcomes in the legal civil aspect of the law. Yeah. Right. So you get those things in place, and you don't have to govern every little part of everybody's life. Yeah. Right. Well, sure, but that's so, a, that's a very broad and th- this is where know, I, statement. Right. So this we'd is, have to get in particular. Well, but, but what I'm trying to say is, I yeah. think there's a way for us to practically deal with where we are to mm-hmm. get upstream and then come back down properly. Does that make sense? So, Maybe. Okay. So right now we can't just start cutting off things and start there. We can't do that. Oh, that's sure, where a sure, lot sure. of the anonymous fail at. Yeah. Is that they have yeah. this kind of fantasy of like we can only do this and that, and that's the way we can get mm-hmm, to law. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. There's some ways to gradually move this thing back to where. The authority is properly set in the family. The authority is properly set in the church. I think a lot of your work mm-hmm. is doing mm-hmm. that very thing. Mm-hmm. And then from there, as we work, yeah. you know, I'm post mill. There's some mm-hmm. a lot of laws that get to come off the book because of the way people govern themselves. Yeah. See, I, so I'm post mill too. Um, and so we're the, you know, so we're the Puritans. This is a good reason to be post mill. America's founded yeah. by post mill guys. Right. So yeah. there right. you go. Right. Um, and hey, if theonomists like my stuff, that's great. I, I, I do. Have any animus I do. Well, of course, a lot of them um, probably wouldn't like me. <laughs> my my general take, and this you know this may get too far into the into the weeds, is that you know government is not a lamentable response to uh, fallen nature. Government's actually something that's an expression of of God's character, and we would always have something like this. Even in, in paradise, we'd have law, we'd have regulations, um, because oh, yeah, because order. Um, is an expression of God's character and man's That's a reasonable right. creature. But so it's pretty low on his uh, priority list. On his on his priority list. I don't know what you mean by that. I don't either. Well, what was the first government created? Family. Um, what was the second government created? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you're gonna do this. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, if we're if we're gonna recognize Adam's uh, dual office, right? Even even in paradise. Yeah. Um, I would say you have you have church and state yeah. right there already going. Yeah, no church and family. And, I'd, say, and I'd, say, I'd say I'd say I, have, I do have all three. Stay, stay on that list, though. That's what so, I'm saying. So I would say, you know, you know, he said go fruitful, multiply first. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and then, and then so, you know, so you know, these are fundamental. And then you got 16 year olds driving. <laughs> Heavy machinery. Come on. Yeah, heavy machinery. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying like on the list of what God. Time to go. Yeah, I want you to finish because I want to turn the corner yeah. here. Turn the corner. Go okay, for it. I want to talk about critical race theory because okay. six years ago, really hardly anybody knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And it comes in and I have a love-hate relationship with it okay. because I think a lot of people saw critical race theory come in and they found, ooh, a new way for us to write a bunch of books and make a whole lot of money. Yeah. But all they did was explain to us what critical race theory or critical theory was mm-hmm. and it's in everything now so that's why I was bringing up 1619 project yeah, yeah. because it's yeah. it's not whatever it's doing is trying to get us to reimagine 
mm-hmm. the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Really, it's a cosmological. Yeah. Not just history, the cosmos. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And and but n- people. So I want you to do two things because I, I hear you're a master with with critical theory. I want you mm-hmm. to explain to us, uh, <laughs> Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah. Uh, but, well, but it's the voting thing that mo- you already talked of, about. Most of the things that people <laughs> talk about when they talk about critical theory is what it is, and they yeah, only yeah. define it, but they never tell you how to beat it. And I always feel like this is like oh, I see. Been, being in a wrestling match, and somebody says, "Oh, that's a chokehold." <laughs> you're like, "Great! Now how do I get out of it?" Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. don't. I don't need to just define. Yeah. I need to know how then do we fight against what we have here? Because critical theory has come in and people think that just banning certain books from being taught is going to stop it. Or if we, you know, can make more laws around it being the, is that's going to win. But that's, it doesn't seem, that's I don't almost think, like a point of failure. Yeah. We right. got to this so, point, we're doing that. So how do you, so kind of define for us critical theory and then hmm. how do you take it out at the knees? Yeah. So, I mean, this isn't a, um, you know, as you often hear the long march through institutions, uh, that the, you know, sort of neo-Marxist mantra, um, yeah. So this, this can't be uprooted, uh, overnight. I think that's part of what people wanting a solution, uh, mm. expect to hear of like, okay, how do I get it out? And so maybe we legislate it out of, out of, you know, the classroom or whatever. I mean, they're very adaptable and very good at, at finding ways to get this into things. I mean, we've already, you already see this sort of uh, videos floating around online where they'll talk about, we'll just rebrand, yeah. we'll just call it something else. And yeah. they do that all the time. So I, th- I think that's a pretty impotent solution, although it might not be something worth exploring. You know, DeSantis is doing this to some extent. Um, one thing we do, and I'll define it in a minute, I guess. Yeah, take your time. Get this uh, uh, thought out of my head. The one thing we d- we do generally in responding to, what are we, let's, just, let's just go with like CRT curriculum or something, is to regurgitate sort of liberal myths and and narratives as our defense against them. This kind of gets back to what we were talking about the religious liberty before mm-hmm. of like, you know, is the, is the solution worse? You know, the, so, you know, you'll do something like recently in Florida when they're trying to go after the curriculum, which is a good thing to do. They'll say, well, the reason this is bad, um, it's not necessarily because it's untrue or not. You don't hear this kind of discussion it's because it's indoctrination and we know indoctrination is bad bad right. and education is something else yeah we don't know what that is but it's something else okay that's a stupid argument yeah. it was it's effective but it's stupid because all education is indoctrination otherwise yeah. what are Facts. you doing with your kids yeah. okay this is what we want actually and so what you need to do long term i think to beat this kind of stuff is to just get real about that and say these are the decisions we're making here we're not doing that. We're indoctrinating this way. This is not about equal playing time. This is not about the marketplace of ideas. This truth. is about truth. And yeah. we don't want pernicious ideology yeah. in, in ours. We want our ideology, non-pernicious, pernicious, good right. stuff. Right. You, make them all theonomist. I don't care. They, so, <laughs> you know, that that's one thing that I think polemically can still be effective. And I understand the short-term goals, but we need to get serious about So, the only way to combat some of this stuff is to per, is to I see what you're develop alternative institutions, mm. uh, alternative curriculums, and these things. Because if you're just going to keep regurgitating the liberal kind of talking points, this is exactly partly what CRT is designed to confront. Is the this goes um, this goes back yeah. to the whole like myth of neutrality yeah. and and basically thinking of it as just freedom of religion, just right. freedom right. from oppression. Mm, and you're, yeah. you're saying yeah. they came over in 1630, yeah. right. not just for freedom from, yeah. but freedom 
to establish a Christian colony, a Christian way of life. And you're saying that's good. That's what CRT is fundamentally. It's a way of life. It's a worldview. It's a religion of its own. I think that's a great way to, a great analogy to make and a great way to put it. So this is, if you're, if you're battling something like that, you've got to meet it in kind on the field, right? right? You can't keep backpedaling and and just longing for like 30 years ago, which would just Mm. replicate the the preconditions for what you already have. And that's what we keep doing. One of the funny things that we've pointed out in, in all this is that a lot of these people who are trying to fight CRT are have their kids in public school. They went to public school. Their parents went to public school. And it's like, well, well, public schools are critical theory. I mean, they're, hmm. the evolutionary, uh, evolutionary speaking, uh, you know, hmm. all the, the worldview that comes out of public school is, is critical theory. And then of course now it's CRT hmm. that, that we're fighting. You can't, you can't fight um, CRT with CR. Yeah. I th- I mean, you know, public schools, which were, were, were originally a, Protestant idea in this, in this country to combat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was a bad solution, but it was to basically combat Catholicism and, and immigration there. But mm-hmm. yep. it's, it's lost its purpose if there ever was a good one. And, and, you know, you, you like have traffic lots of, laws, maybe <laughs> like some traffic laws, but not all of them. Um, and it's a valid category. And I, we can do if me and you okay. came together to make okay. traffic laws. I would do that. Okay, I'm with yeah. that. I, I, I would let you guys do that. Yeah, yeah. Just out of curious, is yeah. it a sin to break traffic laws? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. your pastor should get on you about breaking traffic laws. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. All yeah. over. Okay. So there's, 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 your, a, there's you're a, about a speeding ticket. So there's a practical difference. It's a crime and a sin. Because I actually actually don't think it's a sin at all. I don't understand how you. So if it's legitimate crime, it's legitimate law. Passed by legitimate authority. That's the problem. No, it's not. That's that's the problem, though. It's not. Why is it not a legitimate law? Because it doesn't have a... God doesn't give us laws There's no for restitution. Traffic. There's no restitution. What, what's what's with the it? damage right. that's been so done? This is, the pro- this is my disagreement with the honest. Yeah, I don't think I need this, this um, explicit yeah. demonstration I, I would, in the Old Testament in order to make yeah. it a legitimate law. And the legitimate law is, is channeled through the fact that you have a legitimate authority doing its job, which is to promulgate... Uh, regulations, laws for the common good of the people he's caring for. Right. Um, there is a reasonable, practical, good use for traffic laws, and they are therefore. Yeah. I think they're charitable. Good. I think there's charity. I know, and therefore, I, it is sinful them, to to uh, certainly willfully. Yeah, I would say uh, break I, them. I would put yeah. them in the same category as uh, overdue fines at the library. So I don't think it's a sin. Well, I yeah, to, I really hate library fines, but yeah, yeah. So that's I a mean, good one. That's I mean, polemically I mean, effective, but it's not going to work. Yeah. I, 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 mean, yeah. I think it's like it's it's a uh, like. Um, polite. It's good manners. And good manners. Yeah. Oh, this is so lame. But no. But yeah, I don't. I don't feel so bad. Okay, what the city said, you can only water your, your lawn once a day, and you did it twice a day. You're in sin. Well, you have a, you have a question of whether it's a reasonable regulation. So if it's unreasonable, but the government did, defined, they did. No, 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 no. The government voted democracy. Wait, wait, unreasonable. I don't unreasonable based on what standard? Oh, okay. So are the are the means? So is it, one is it a legitimate interest for the government, legitimately within? Who gets um, to define those things? Well, we'll, we'll get to that. So if, it, if it's legitimate Theonomy. thing, <laughs> right? For with reasonable means fitted to to a a proper end, right? So a proper end would be like. Um, what is what is this? watering grass? Is well, yeah, this okay. watering lawn. The what's, government, what's the, the city said. What's you the can... ostensible? What are we? Why would we do this? There's not enough water. Fire season. Okay. Okay. Great. Global warming. Global warming. No. 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 We're not. <laughs> we're, come we're on, not Dave. Yeah. That's what okay. they're doing. Okay. Let's say. Let's say we there's just, a water we shortage. Just had a, this would be good. A sewer increase over global warming initiatives. We're trying to be reasonable. I don't know anything about that. We're being reasonable. We're reasonable magistrates. I'm being real. 
Okay. I'm being real right now. Our producer's now. agreeing with you right now. Okay. Okay. So there's a water shortage and we need drinking water. It's California. So they say it's California and yeah. the avocados are dying. Well, why is and there so, a water shortage in California? Governor Judge, Newsom. I'm telling you right now. I'm telling you right now. But don't fight the hypothetical. Newsom. This is like law school one-on-one. You don't get to fight it. Okay. So <laughs> the hypothetical where, is- where problems start. This is the hypothetical. <laughs> there's a water shortage. You're limited to watering your grass once a day. Yeah. Otherwise you get fine. Perfectly legitimate. Mm-hmm. There's a reasonable end. That's within the government uh, purview because we can't solve this problem on an individual level. Because well, they won't right? let you can't drill a well it. on your own property. But the, you're fine. You're, you can't add to the hypo either without without permission. So this <laughs> this is to illustrate the point. So <laughs> I don't so know then, if we'd be under more tyranny or less tyranny with you now. More, <laughs> much I'm more. a little concerned. Much more. Much this more. Is, okay. It's like much more tyranny. Like, much more. This, <laughs> okay. This is so, but, th- but this is but this is a re- if you're doing it for this reason, it's a reasonable end. There's no alternative means. There's no better means. This is one way, at least, at least a, a, a uh, reasonably competent means to address this problem. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly legitimate. And then it would be sinful to defy the authorities that have set that regulation in place. Like for mass your mandates. Goods. Well, are, are yeah. masks effective? Emergency. According well, to well, CDC. Right. <laughs> so were. at one point, CDC, at, your, one point your been, at one point, it could have been reasonable. Ah! And at one point, it's, ah! it's, it could not be reasonable, right? Yeah. You'd have to debate this. So then this. lockdowns oh. would be reasonable too then. Well, you, I mean, you guys don't want to hear. Do you guys want to hear about how the Puritans handled this stuff? <laughs> they were wrong. Yeah, okay. they were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they could because be wrong, Piazza, right? Yeah, but yeah, they yeah. Might, they the Puritans have, were perfect. They might have had a real plague, though. Well, this or, is another question. Or, yeah, no, this is another question. I mean, yeah. I mean that's another yeah. whole part but, of this. Is that, I right, mean, right. This is why I think so, Levitical laws would be really good here. In this, in this context, why? Because you take and you quarantine the environment that has the impurity. Sure, sure. Yeah, you so don't go around a, and and tell and everybody the whole yeah, state yeah, like yeah. our governor did. So this yeah. is where I think yeah. it would be it make come really good sense to go. So well, how how does the scripture deal with quarantines? I think, I think every magistrate should be consulting the scripture and its You're laws the on a daily basis. See, I yeah. know it, but <laughs> we, got it we can make laws we right So this is the same the same thing you do. You know, even even in our jurisdiction, you read case law to start to develop patterns yeah. and ways of yeah. thinking. Yeah. Um, and then you can apply it by analogy to different circumstances to be helpful. It's never going to be identical. Right. This is how the common law operates. And it's, um, so I think this is legitimate. I, I mean that with all seriousness. I, I think too. every magistrate should read, uh, well, every Christian should, but magistrates should be consulting the law just like the magistrates. I think the every governor did. and president should rewrite yeah. Deuteronomy. I think that'd be a just great like, law. Like That's a reasonable kings, law. You know? What's our, what's <laughs> yeah. our, wh- why should we pass that? Because it says in What's Deuteronomy it? seventeen that the king should make a copy. Yeah, of but the why? Law. But why is it? So we got to develop it though. Why so, is it? Why is it? Because it yeah. gets the principles of God's word into their heart, into their, into I think their minds. That's a reasonable end, and I think yeah. that's a reasonable means to get the principles. Of law. And you know what? This and is, there's, and there's a I, Bible verse. Can I just say this though? I, I know you're not a theonomist, but yeah. I would much rather be having this conversation about yeah. law that right. and issue yeah, because that's right. whatever wrestling we're going to do. The yeah. wrestling we're going to do is trying to figure out how does the word really apply uh, in yeah. real time. Our, and our interest yeah. is actually having a Christian society. Right. That's, 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 that's that our goal and interest. interest. And, and right. there's, there'll be differences of exactly yeah. how to apply scripture, how to apply yeah, natural right. law and so forth. But I'd sure. much rather have that debate. We aren't trying Absolutely. to jam yeah. the Bible into secularism. Than trying to yeah. convince Christians yeah. Yeah. not so to, I, to I, let I, drag yeah. queens right. dance and in I front per, of their kids. I prefer theonomists to, you know, neo-Calvinist Kyperians for this very reason. So, you know, I don't want... Neo Calvinist Kyperian. I thought I was a Kyperian. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't want Kyperian. this secularized Christianity oh, business. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, theonomists yeah. are much better on this. Yeah. So um, that's a good way to lame. Okay, I like that. Neo Calvinists. Yeah. Are you saying secularized Kyperians, basically? Is that what you mean by that? No, just, I mean, Kyperians and Neo Calvinists are, I guess, basically synonymous. I, I they I've been calling myself a Kyperian for years, and I thought that was a good thing. So, what do you mean it's by Kyperian thing. then? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. The, the Neo Calvinists that have at least. 
Um, you know, it's, it's much more popular now because of, because of Bovink becoming accessible again and, and Kuiper as well. Um, that model for, you know, engagement, especially with culture, but then also a sort of organization of your socio sociopolitical model, um, I think is distinctive within the tradition. I mean, Kuiper um, seems to even been recognizing that he's going beyond, right, what the reformers would do. You mean like, saying, like kind of his sphere sovereignty thing? Certainly sphere sovereignty. And then, you know, their general approach of where the, I mean, Kuiperians will describe themselves this way of this is a... Um, Christianized secularism or Christianized pluralism. It's very mm. sympathetic to um, the situation at the time, right? The the late 19th, early 20th century in the Netherlands. Um, and pluralism is taken kind of for granted. So the Christian ethic and worldview is meant to fit into that pre-existing condition. And I think you're already ceding too much that by by adopting this sort of value or at least finding it accessible. That's interesting. We got David yeah. Bonson coming on next next Tuesday and I asked him where you stand on all this and he, he describes himself as, as I'm a big Calvin guy but also heavily influenced by Kuiper and Banvik on this stuff. Bovink. 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 Banvink. A general unknown reformed theologian. Banvink. I'm from Texas. This is Banvink. On general liberal order stuff, I would say Locke is important, but Westminster Divines and American Founders as well, hard to get better than uh, Burke. So it, would that it's be kind of place. that neo <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I'm not quite sure what he means because it's a lot of different things. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know. That neo-Calvinism, uh, Kuiper. Yeah, I mean, he's going to just, I, I think if David Bonson would, would consider himself generally a, a classical liberal. Probably right. Mm -hmm. um, I think he, he I, uses that. I mean, he actually he used it with me, with you, okay. actually, with your your, uh, okay. your victory. He said this is a victory for uh, for classical, classical liberalism. liberalism, which I which I know or I th would think for him has a lot to do with economics. Okay, yeah, so sure. we can we can table that for yeah. a minute. Mm -hmm. Generally, the classical liberal kind of label is an approach to social order, um, which I do think will will cede or accept or appreciate um, things like pluralism maybe even to some extent multiculturalism and a sort of procedural basis for forming the society. I've, I find all the, all of these things uncompelling. So I would never use that, that label for because, myself. Because but it I, doesn't yeah. begin from a place that says this is, this is God's world. He established government. Government is, is meant to yeah. serve him like from jump, like starting well, there. I'd be more cynical than that and just say it's an impossibility that every society yeah. establishes right. a, a controlling ethic and a controlling uh, morality that then is promulgated through its laws and customs. Pluralism. And this is just what happens. Pluralism doesn't exist. Yeah. Not in the way that they, they the, want it. Like, that yeah. pluralists yeah. claim it right, does. Right. Um, in the same way, it's like the, myth, the, this, the myth, myth of neutrality. Yeah. Like yeah. there's no yeah. neutrality. Yeah. This just doesn't I, I, exist. This is the only thing I believe from Van Til is the, the myth of neutrality. So I plug it as much as I can, but the, um, yeah, the it doesn't. The only thing he just said that on cross politic. That's the, the only thing. That's the only thing you liked about Van Til. Oh, yeah, 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 the okay. only thing. Um, oh, it's not I, even I miss, unique to him. I, I just say. This I heard to, Van Til, and I was like, all right, that's cool. And then, yeah, I, the only I, reason I, I say that is to dig at Van Til. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. so I like you. So, so, so are you? Are you, are you not pre sub? Yeah. I'm, uh, no, no, no. I'm not pre sub. No. Whoa! I can't believe I said that. I hear pre, and I think pre mill, and so that's yeah, yeah. So right, right. So you aren't pre sub. No. You're classical. I don't. I don't. I'm above labels. Huh? Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about know. labels. This I don't think, wait, wait. Okay, right. yeah, yeah, so, okay. Listen, time and climb we, above yeah. labels they, on cross politics. Yeah, I just don't. So we can uh, come with Calvinist. He's, he's, he's a theonomist. He's a theonomist. He's a That's all I heard. You said post-mill. You're post-mill. There you go. So I think part of this conversation, we kind of got in the weeds a little bit, but and I appreciate that. 
I want to get really practical for mm-hmm. just the last moment mm-hmm. here. What do we go? Where do we go from yeah. here? How do we get back to where we can actually have real fights again? You know oh, what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we can. I, I, right mean, now, I don't church? think I can sit down no, with a liberal no, no, uh, and talk with them. Well, they I, believe yeah. a man I mean, can be a woman. You know. I mean, yeah. well, where I, I even miss where the anonymous used to fight with each other. Sure. But right now, the walls are down. There's no protections. Yeah. We are all back to back with each other. And we're yeah. going to have to figure out how to get what our we, culture back. Yeah, what are we, so what how are we do, do? where's our good point of attack? And where mm-hmm. do you put your time and energy at building so that we can get back to having these kind of fights and they actually matter? Because right now, everything we just said really doesn't matter in one sense. Yeah. Because right? that's not where we're at yet. Now, yeah. we need to work these out. It'd be great if like federal vision was a big debate again, right? That'd be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> Technically, that's what's days. going on right now. Okay. But, um, so, the, so I, I have two thoughts on this. One, the the only practical kind of um, advice, or and it's very general, I think about in in this context of sort of you know people want to restore their country. They want to, yeah, they they, they of course love their country and they they hate what's happening to it. Mm-hmm. They know that they're angry. They're not quite sure of all the causality, but they know there's a problem. One thing you could say is just to start trying to recover the last things most recently lost. Right, you could try to do that, and I think there's segregation. Some... Oh wait, no, no not that. <laughs> no, not that one. Um, oh, sorry. So, <laughs> You're a bathrooms, men and women's bathrooms, a bathroom, that gotcha. kind of segregation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I was meaning. Okay, <laughs> so you could start doing that. You know, you could go through the list. You could say, you know, abortion. That's recently right. a partial win. Great. Um, still, you know, it's still not thoroughly. Uh, eradicated, but right. maybe we're working on it. You could say no fault divorce. You could say many things. And yeah. and there's some sense to that. You could even say Sabbath laws. They're not that lost that right. long ago. Right. Um, but in general, I'm actually, I'm actually pretty pessimistic for the time being on this type of question, because I think the, the question is premature. Mm. I don't think we have fully adjudicated or even developed a, an ideal um, that's that's capable of, of being adjudicated of what we want to get back to. And part of that, as, as you guys know from our conversation mm-hmm. here, is understanding maybe something of what we were. Now, that, that itself doesn't even have to be definitive, and there's no real chance to replicate the past, but we at least should understand when we say we want to get back to something, what that something is. And I don't think that that's been done yet. I don't think Christians have a good understanding of that. Um, and certainly most most historians don't. Until we do that, until we develop an ideal, a sort of vision, we're not able of making, capable of making practical, prudential concessions to our, our current moment that would actually be effective at, at having any progress. So, well, that's bleak. It's it's very bleak. I don't. So I don't think we fully described or figured out all the problems. We're doing mm. some of that, and we certainly haven't figured out what the ideal vision would be that we'd want to rally everybody to march towards. And until we figure that out. Um, we really have no business trying to direct people in any particular way because we don't know what, what we're trying to get to. So then let me ask the question another way. What does a son of Issachar look like right now? Hmm. I think, I mean, this is self-serving, uh, but but I think some of what White the hair, things I've tried. Yeah, well tailored. Where's the Yeah, you give me a patch, we're going to have a problem. So... You know, one, one thing we should be doing is, is I mean, I'm serious about the questions I just raised. We should try yeah. to work on those. That's I'm not yeah. just saying that to be bleak, but it is bleak. I, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We should be working on those. We should try to think about what uh, the ideal would be. And part of that is recovering what our history actually was. Um, and, and that does provide instructive examples. You can, mm-hmm. th- And it also, 
we need to reestablish ideally as Christians, as Protestants, what the real Overton window is. This is why I talk mm-hmm. about things like blasphemy laws. It's not because we can get those back tomorrow. Right. Um, but it's because if you right. say, hey, in your country, you know, up through the 19th century, you were punishing public blasphemy. Uh you can then you feel pretty confident going in to protest the, the local drag queen story hour. Right. You're like, okay, right. that's the Overton window. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be bashful about this. Mm-hmm. So it does have some immediate effect, but at the same time, we should really keep working on developing, you know, a true understanding of our history, fully orbed, um, and then running that through our. That should be instructive for our doctrine, but it's not exhaustive for our doctrine as Protestants of what the social order should look like. So these debates, maybe they don't matter. Uh, practically to anyone right now, but they they should happen. We should I agree. Give us a, yeah. give us a, just a couple of uh, resources. Um, yeah. what, what should we read? His blog. Uh, you mean, should definitely read uh, American Reformer. That's you know. Yeah. Um, You're the editor for that. I'm I'm the assistant editor. Ben Dunson's the, okay. the head editor. He's the head honcho. Um, I find your work Josh Abbott is there. Helpful. I appreciate that. Yeah, I really I do because I don't think there's a lot of places where people are actually doing a lot of that heavy labor. Yeah. To, to find out what the American history is and it, and it's yeah. deep in there and it's not easy to find and you're finding yeah. it and digging it out for us. Yeah, I think so. we know next to, to nothing true in a true way about the period. So you know, there's been the past 20 years, you know, this sort of resourcement effort with reform theology, right? Yeah. Which is really yeah. great. We're just now starting to get around to source material from that those efforts, a lot of it translation, that have anything to do with these topics, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, everyone should read Mosaic Polity from Junius, which, by the way, so Junius single-handedly destroys theonomy before it ever exists. Anyway, you guys can go read that. Um, <laughs> he's dead now, right? He's long dead. Oh, he's theonomy yeah. now. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. So, but some some of these books, uh, you know, Matthew Hale's Law of Nature, that's another one. I mean, people should go read these. Very helpful. Matthew Hale's? Matthew yeah. Hale's natu- uh, Law of Nature. Um, so, we're getting some sources back that are helpful um, but as as even people working in that field will say about Reformed theology, I mean, just beginning to understand the diversity of views that are acceptable yeah. within Orthodoxy, that time, it's very new. Hmm. And I would say we're in a similar, exciting but poor situation in our understanding of of the founding period. For some of the reasons I just laid out and more that probably aren't understood yet, um, we really don't, are incapable still, I think, of stepping into those pathologies and mindsets of, of the time because we don't have sufficient exposure. As I said before, we read a narrow range of sources that are pretty, um, they're, 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 they're self-serving in their selection for the biases of, right. of uh, the historians using them. So I think there's a ton of work to do right. just in understanding what we had and what it, how it kind of worked that can be instructive then yeah. um, for maybe a potential uh, future that we could develop. There you go. So basically, All right, gotta, Jared's texting us. So what does he say? He just said, you guys got Timon. And I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He goes by Timon, but that's fine. Timon, yeah. Timon. Man, brother, we could have spent another two hours talking. Yeah. I, there's so much oh, I still fun. want to talk yeah. to you about. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for hey, having if you're guys. single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all Actually, your heart. Oh, it's Monday. Monday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not tomorrow. Love God with all your heart. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. No, I'm not love coming in. Love yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. I'll be here tomorrow. (laughs) Home, it's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris and Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first. 
or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy. Mom always told me to be a good boy, but the world said I could be anything I wanted to be, which is great because I want to be a problem. No, I won't dive into sex, drugs, or gender confusion. To the world, that would make me a good little boy. I will learn formal logic and adhere firmly to the concept of objective truth. I will commit myself absolutely to the authority of the Word of God and make friends with Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Chesterton, Lewis, and the U.S. Constitution. I hope to grow up and love only one woman, a woman at least as clear-thinking and rebellious in this world as I will be, who knows where true beauty lies and who will never let me stop striving to be the biggest problem I can be. I will give my life for hers and aim to have a family large enough to require specialty automobiles. We will worship in a church unashamed of the gospel and live in a community of families doing the same. I will work myself to the bone providing for my family and I will make sure my kids all fall in love with Narnia and Middle Earth, that they will all know how to think, that evolution will make them giggle, and rainbows will make them think of Noah and his archiarchy. Like I said, I will be a problem, immune to all that is hip and trendy and now. Singing songs that are centuries old, savoring good wine and great whiskey, dancing and laughing and feasting while the enemies of God scowl and glower in shelter and place. Hey little boy, the world says, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a metastasizing cancer of conservative Christian culture, devouring Marx's impotent progressive dream and building a resurrected Western world. I want to be a stomper of stupid sandcastles, an exposer of poisonous lies. I want my life to be a monument to the trying creator God who made us all. The kind of monument you and yours will never be able to tear down. Oh, and farming. Thanks for asking. New St. Andrews College. Liberal Arts for Outlaws. There you go. Putting off writing that proposal again? Yeah, we've been there. Proposal writing can be tough. It takes work. And if you're not careful, you can set up your company for failure. Well, that's where we come in. Smart Pricing Table is an innovative application that focuses on, well, the pricing table. Instead of a static document and constant back and forth, our platform creates interactive proposals that empower your prospects. Not sure if something is needed? Make it optional. Have complicated services that vary? Let your customer do the work with line item upsells. Have reoccurring services? Easy peasy. With Smart Pricing Table, you can create attractive proposals quickly. And our system is built for reuse, so you can get out of that hamster wheel. Give your customers choice and close deals quickly with Smart Pricing Table.